Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Grounded Podcast with Pastor Matt Round. In this episode, we are going to be answering a question we received from a listener. What songs should we sing during worship? Now, the greater question of this is, is it important what songs we sing in a worship service? And what are some of your favorite songs, Pastor Matt? Worship is a very big part of the Christian life, and in order to act obediently, we should make sure that we have our standards straight. So (laughs) Pastor Matt is going to work through that with us today. Hello, Pastor Matt. Hey, Noah. Good to talk with you. And yeah, it's a huge question. Uh, So is it important what songs we sing? Yes, it absolutely is. Um, And we could wrap up the podcast there, but that's probably not going to be too helpful to people. Um, And this is really, this is a topic we could talk for a long time about, and that wouldn't be helpful either. So I think what we'll do is we'll give some foundational things today, um, some practical things today. And then if there's follow-up questions, maybe we can address those in another episode if there's something we need to deal with more specifically. But... um, um, when we talk about worship and usually what we're talking, well, usually what we're talking about is musical worship. Uh, although rightly understood, we got to start at the very beginning. Worship is basically, uh, honor, adoration, praise directed toward God. And that's not limited to music. Worship rightly understood is part of the whole Christian life. Everything that we do has to be run through the filter of whether it is worshipful or not. The way that I parent my children can either be an act of worship or an act of rebellion. The way that I love my wife, uh, the way that I approach the work that God has given me to do, all of these things are parts of our worship. So uh, right from the very beginning, we have to be careful that we don't break our lives apart into secular things and sacred things, things that are for God and things that are for us. There is no division in the Christian life. It's all for God. Uh, Nothing that we do is for us. Uh, Nothing that we do is for our own gain, for our own glory. Uh, It all has a very singular purpose of responding rightly to the God who saved us. So worship is part of all that we do, but recognizing that uh, musical worship is not only a huge part of uh, our church life, but it's a huge part of a lot of our private lives. We listen to songs in the radio, we sing in the shower, and all those things that worship directed toward music matters, and how we think about it, and how we approach it matters. And there are some helpful things, I think, that help us uh, to work through it rightly. So when we understand that our lives are supposed to be given over to worship, then it actually helps us see that the church as a whole and the church as individuals, we're a community of worshipers. Um, so when we recognize that, then it becomes not just a part of what we do individually, but then we can see that it does matter how we worship corporately. That when we come together to sing, that if our whole lives are designed to bring God glory, then that will absolutely be true of what we sing. So the purpose of our lives is to glorify God. That means the purpose of our singing then is also to glorify God. But even right there, uh, we start with kind of that first foundational principle. If the purpose of worship in every circumstance, but specifically today, if we're talking about the purpose of worship music, if that is to glorify God, uh, then that means that the worship music is not for us. Now you say that sounds very obvious. If it is for someone else, it cannot be for me. But it really does begin to change our perspective and our priority when we approach worship music. Worship doesn't focus on us. It's not about us. Uh, Our worship music is not primarily for us. Does it bring benefit to the believer? Absolutely. And we'll talk about that in a bit, but our worship music is not for us, which means that our approach to worship music is not, do I like this particular music that actually falls way, way, way down on the priority scale. Uh, the right question to ask, first of all, is, is this bringing honor and glory to God? And if we miss that, then we miss 
every detail of the question later on. We, we can't answer the specifics until we answer the broad, what is the purpose of this music that we're singing? So worship isn't for us. Uh, and the tragedy is there are a number of churches that have split over worship music preference, not even substance, but preference in style and in tempo. Um, and as much as we try to dress up those things in theological terms, and granted, some of those things are for legitimate theological concerns, uh, far and away, the most typical response to worship music is whether I like it or not. And so we, we start with the wrong filter on it. But the foundational purpose is, the foundational principle is that the purpose of worship is to glorify God. So what is that practical implication for us? That means that worship from a musical perspective, again, and, and I keep saying that, but the focus of this whole thing is going to be driven back toward music. Understand worship is our whole life. But uh, as far as the specific implications, worship then isn't based on tradition or preference or entertainment. It's not designed then to get some kind of emotional feeling or experience or response out of me. In other words, the way that we craft a worship music portion of our service is not designed to get something specific out of the audience. It's not designed to give them some kind of specific experience or feeling or emotion. And so much of the songs, uh, not only in the world, but in our churches are designed to elicit a particular emotion. And that's backwards. That again, places the emphasis on us. Is there emotion in worship? Yes. And again, we'll get to that in a bit, but the worship music itself is not designed to produce those things. Uh, the next kind of foundational principle then is that worship is essentially a response. Uh, worship doesn't add anything to God. Worship is a response to the reality of who God is. Worship is giving God honor and glory and praise because he is due those things, because he deserves those things, because he demands those things, because he's worthy of all of those things. So it, we're called to rightly respond to the glory of God. So people who understand the glory of God consistently respond with right worship. And those who fail to worship well, it's not primarily a, a result of not having the right songs. Those who fail to worship that well, really the foundational issue is that they don't have a right understanding of the glory of God and who they're trying to approach with this worship in the first place. And so again, that practically works itself out through some very specific things. Um, if worship is a response to the glory of God, then that means that it's the mind that drives the heart. That means that our understanding of God, our theological mental understanding of who God is, is going to drive the content of our worship and the response to our worship. And our, our theology then, if you want to put it in kind of theological terms, our theology directs our doxology. It, it moves our response there. Again, that has a lot of practical implications. Uh, that means that only believers are equipped to lead the church in worship because Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without an understanding of who God is, without being a true believer, you have no ability to worship, let alone any ability to lead others in worship. You might very well have musical experience and expertise. Uh, you might have a phenomenal voice. You cannot lead others to a place that you haven't been. Uh, you won't be effective in worship if you have hindrances to worship. That also means that on an individual basis, I won't be effective in worshiping, not, not only as someone standing on stage, I won't be an effective worshiper of God if there's sin that's hindering that in my own life. And again, before I even think about the songs that we're singing, the content, or whether I like the songs, if I have sin that I refuse to deal with in my life, no matter what the song is on any given Sunday morning, I'm not going to worship well. Uh, so worship is a recognition and a response to God's glory. The next kind of foundational thing that builds off of that then <clears throat> 
is that worship, right worship, is what we'll call theocentric. It is God-centered. There's a lot of songs that claim to be about God, but there's far too many songs that kind of fall short of rightly worshiping him. That means the songs that we sing, not only don't, they're not only are they not designed to get a response, a particular response out of us, but they are not primarily directed at us at all. It is impossible to sing about God without singing about what he has done for his people. I understand that. But the focus of Christian worship is not on the Christian. It is on the power, the nature of God, his attributes, his word, his work. Um, And when we understand those things, then we can begin to respond to God rightly in those things. I mean, and again, it, one doesn't negate the other necessarily. You read through the Psalms and the, the hymn book of Israel was, it's, it's a collection of the whole human experience. There's joy, there's trouble, there's struggle, uh, there's a contention between people, uh, there's provision, there's need. There's this whole range of human experience. But you read through those Psalms and the focus, while David might cry out, how long, O Lord, the focus of that in Psalm 13 and other places becomes the person, the work, the nature of God. That when things are going well, when the, when the soul is uplifted and rejoicing, um, even, even in short Psalms, it talk about how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It, it talks about the blessing of God in those things. So it's while it involves our experience with God, it is ultimately pointed and directed to God's work, God's person. Um, so it brings that glory back to God. Right worship then is also not only theocentric and God-centered, we could say that right worship uh, is instructional. There's there's a teaching component of worship. Um, Paul says in Ephesians and in Colossians that, that we, we teach and admonish one another. And part of how we do that is through songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that, that the songs that we sing bear theological truth and that that theological, theological truth uh, goes toward our instruction. Um, music isn't the time before the teaching on a Sunday or the time after a teaching on a Sunday, whatever your particular you know liturgy carries out. Um, music is a part of instruction in the life of a believer. Again, there's a reason the Psalms are not only such a, a large portion of the Old Testament, but why they're so very useful. Music is instructional. We learn from a very young age to music, ABCs, counting, the days of the week, the months of the year. All of these things are set to music because music is incredibly helpful with memory, with repetition, with instruction. We recall songs that we haven't heard in decades as if we just heard them yesterday. Music is tremendously valuable in that it can take theological truth, implant it deep in us in a way that is not only beautiful, but is easily recalled in times of need. Uh, So music is instructive. And that means that the song that we sing, the songs that we sing, it better have theological value because we are instructing people in our songs. It means there's no throwaway songs. It it means there's no uh, filler songs. They're either contributing to the instruction and the right response of the believer, or they're actually detracting from that. And so that includes every part 
of our service, every part of our music from uh, a soloist doing special music to uh, the prelude before people get in to the congregational songs that everybody sings uh, to children's performances at Christmas and Easter or whatever your particular church does. All of these things are a part of the same response in worship. And so they all have the same value. They all ought to have the same uh, purpose. And that means they all should share similar content. Different levels, sure. Highlighting different truths, absolutely. Uh, but theologically driven songs will always be instructive, whether they're being sung by a five-year-old or a 50-year-old, and whether they're being sung at a particular point in the service or during the corporate worship time. Next, when we think of all of those things and all the theological truth, um, I think there might be the tendency to disconnect our heart from our head there, um, to say that worship is strictly theological, and that can make it highly academic. And there are some churches where the singing uh, feels empty and rote, even when it is full of theological truth. The reality is that right worship is also devotional. Right worship is a heart response to God. Worship not only informs our mind, it, it renews our spirit. You cannot rightly think about the person and the work of God. You cannot rightly think about uh, a being in infinite perfection, infinite power, infinite wisdom, who somehow knows my name and the number of hairs on my head and the number of breaths that I take and has loved me from before I drew my first breath and who has a plan for every detail and every part of my life and who at the end of that life will call me to his side and make me fit to be with him for eternity. You can't think about that whole scope of who God is and what he's done for me without having some kind of a heart response of affection, of adoration, of worship. So it's not a head and heart disconnect. Worship is not driven by the head at the expense of the heart. Worship is informed by theological understanding that, the, that then gives, right, that gives response, a right heart response. That right theological understanding drives a right heart response. It is not just emotion tethered to the human experience of emotion. It is a heart response that has emotions that are bound up in theological truth. So joy, wonder, amazement, astonishment, tears can all be appropriate, bound up in the theological truth response to God through music. Uh, it means that when we are rightly worshiping, both the head and the heart are engaged as part of it, and it's not one leaving behind the other. Both of those lead to disaster and wrong worship. Um, so that means that the music that we sing isn't just rote theological doctrine. It means that there's personal application involved, even in corporate worship. Uh, it means that while we sing for the glory of God, that worship is instructive of one another, and that worship is also encouraging toward one another. And I think that if you've been involved in a church service where genuine worship is happening, you've, you've experienced that, that there is great joy in hearing other people sing. There's great joy in that common experience of pouring out worship toward God. And that is not wrong. That is not bad. We don't chase that feeling but that feeling is good and right and proper in the sense that you have a group of people bound together in unity in the Holy Spirit responding in unity to God. And that ought to elicit those right responses of joy and affection and peace and all of those things that happen in that. So uh, so there's that kind of personal application that's involved in our music should direct our right responses toward joy or thanksgiving or any of those things. Now, when you get all of those things right, then the things that people usually fight about don't matter so much. Uh, you have style questions that 
are important to ask, but if the value of the song is there, the style becomes less important. And then what you're after when it comes to style is, is it appropriate or is it distracting? Now, that's really the biggest question with style of a worship song. Uh, there are times when a song poorly placed might have theological value, but might be distracting because of the tempo, because of the content, because of any number of things, any number of things that aren't necessarily sinful, but it just might be inappropriate. There's wisdom involved in that. Uh, there's also style involved from culture to culture. If you go cross-cultural on a missions trip, you see music and worship expressed in a variety of different formats uh, that don't seem foreign to the people involved at all, but for us looking on as outsiders seem very, very different. So we have to recognize that style can vary not only from culture to culture, but even from church to church. And style is not unimportant, but style isn't necessarily linked to theological accuracy. There are, to the shock and chagrin of some people, there are upbeat songs with rhythm and tempo that are full of theological truth. So uh, there are there are good songs of, of every tempo and lots of different styles and lots of different genres. The more important thing when we talk about form is going to be the substance. It doesn't matter what we sing. And it absolutely does. Uh, now, one kind of more thing when we talk about style, uh, there is a distinction, not in substance and not what's important in the content. There is a distinction in style between private and corporate worship. In other words, there are songs that are tremendously valuable that for private devotion might be entirely appropriate, but that might be really, really difficult to bring into a congregational worship setting. There is great wisdom and great understanding required to rightly lead a congregation in worship, because not only do you have to take content into account, uh, but you have to take things into account like key and pitch and range. Some songs have great theological truth, but your average voice can't sing them without experiencing a great deal of pain, uh, especially first thing in the morning on a Sunday before your voice is warmed up. You got to really watch whatever the high, <laughs> the high end of your spectrum is there. Uh, you have to take care in that. Um, there's, there's style that's just not conducive to corporate worship at all. Uh, there are a number of songs that I like, um, that would be kind of labeled like Christian hip hop songs, uh, that would not be anywhere near singable in a corporate worship setting, but they're some of the most theologically packed songs that I listen to. Um, and then there are songs that are designed and intentionally built for corporate worship. And I think those are what I find that I appreciate the most in a corporate worship setting are people that have thought through not only the content of their worship music, but how that music is then meant to be expressed through a collection of voices. Harmonies and melodies are taken into account. Range is taken into account. Flow and meter are taken into account. That's good writing and that exists. And uh, the church in general, I'm not sure always looks for those things. Uh, there's a lot of times where the top 10 songs on the radio become the top 10 songs that CCLI uses uh, or that CCLI gets uh, used for. And that's not, that's not effective. Most of the songs on contemporary Christian radio, aside from troubling theological content, which is probably another episode, they're simply not designed to be sung in a corporate worship setting. Um, and, and that's something that matters. But then we do talk about content and, and, Again, content is key because content is a reflection of whether we understand what we're doing as we worship. 
Um, and we could nitpick a bunch of different things and pull apart a bunch of different songs. Um, and we could get people up in arms on one side or the other. And there's probably room to do that in a more specific episode down the line. But the songs that we sing matter. And just because a song is popular does not mean uh, that it is innately full of theological truth. Uh, I'm going to give you one that is sung quite a bit. And it's not heretical, but I just want to give you an example of what potentially troubling lyrics are there that might sound fine, but then when we think about them, uh, they raise some difficulties, right? So the song, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. We've, we've heard that. Many of us have sung that in one context or another. Um, then you think about it. Aside from the idea that the Holy Spirit needs to be welcomed or given permission to be anywhere aside, you know, the fact that the spirit is not given to flood a place or fill the atmosphere, the Holy Spirit is given to believers. He is present where believers are present because he indwells every believer that God has sealed for himself. He is an active presence in the lives of every worshiper. And so when we sing to the spirit, which by the way, I don't think is wrong to do the person of the Trinity. It is a part of the Godhead but we don't ask the Holy Spirit to flood a place or fill the atmosphere. We ask the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit is biblically described as doing. Convict of sin, right? Bring to repentance, encourage, equip, and enable obedience and right worship. Bring glory to Christ. And so it's not that we don't like to sing about the Holy Spirit. It's just that we're not free to sing about God in ways that sound good or rhyme well or flow with the theme of a song. When we sing about God, we are bound by God's self-revelation in that sense. Um, and then aside, the, the theology of so many songs is just so shallow. Uh, if it's meant to encourage our faith and to instruct our minds and to uh, move our hearts toward worship, then there has to be a depth there that does that. And but there's a song by Sovereign Grace, All Praise to Him. I just want to read you one kind of uh, one stanza of that song, because in, in these lines, there's so much truth, you could spend weeks unpacking them in a sermon. All praise to him whose love is seen in Christ, the son, the servant king, who left behind his glorious throne to pray the, pay the ransom for his own. All praise to him who humbly came to bear our sorrow, sin, and shame, who lived to die, who died to rise, the all-sufficient sacrifice. You could spend a long time plumbing the depths of those things uh, to a degree that you can't with songs that say, you know, let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the anchor in the waves, he is my song. It's just, there's, there's a flatness and a lack of depth to some of those things. So we've gone on for a long time, and I don't want to belabor the point that does it matter what songs we sing? Yes. There's a ton of ways we could go with that. Some of my favorites, um, well, uh, All Praise to Him by Sovereign Grace is a great one. I love Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, one of my favorites. Um, His Mercy is More, one of my favorites. Uh, that's just a few. I've, I've got a list. If you want a list, I could put out a list. We can put that on a website of my top 10 or whatever. Uh, but it changes regularly. Um, Again, I find myself drawn to groups like uh, Sovereign Grace or City of Light because they write music in the context of the local church. 
Those are not groups that tour and travel. Those are music groups associated with a continually meeting body of believers and a local church where they are gathering together to equip one another, where they are sitting under the authority of God's word together. And then they write songs that encourage their congregation that just happen to encourage other congregations. They are written and designed for the purpose of the local congregation in the context of the local congregation that then goes on to encourage other local congregations. So that's kind of what I find to be encouraging. I hope that was helpful. And uh, like I said, any further questions or more detailed questions, we can always answer in another episode. Thank you very much, Pastor Matt. I found that to be a very delightful answer. And thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to listen to other episodes regarding worship and other topics, and if you want to see Pastor Matt's top 10 list of his favorite songs at the release time of this episode, visit our website, thegroundedpodcast.com. If you have a question of your own, like Pastor Matt said, please email us, groundedwithmattround at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.